from the Adult Swim headquarters at William Street in Midtown Atlanta. I'm Matt Harrigan. This is the Adult Swim Podcast. Today I'm talking to Ollie Green, who is the VP of Animation Production, which means she produces most of the animated shows on the network. Go ahead. No, I mean, (laughs) I'm not leaving until something. Tell me about your garden. Interesting. Pops out. Uh, Cucumbers are going off. Yeah. I planted peanuts correctly this time. My tomatoes are flowering, but nothing is ripening. And I think there's a squirrel stealing some of them. Would you kill the squirrel if you caught it? God, no. I would yell at it. <laughs> what would you yell? You know, some obscenities because that's all I know. Um, I actually have squirrels on my bird feeder. Speaking of being old, I have squirrels that climb my bird feeder, and I keep like um, a bunch of sticks by the door that I then throw at the squirrels when they're on the feeder. That's uh... sad. That is an old thing. Throwing sticks <laughs> at squirrels to chase them out of your garden. Yeah. I think a lot of our viewers can connect with that. Gardening doesn't seem to happen until people get older. It's like a daytime thing. And um, it's for people who like really need to undo the digital damage. You know, like... If you want to do things, something that's the opposite of looking at a screen, it's yeah. digging in the dirt. What do you do here, Ollie? What's going to uh, say in the description what you do here? I'll let you describe it. Uh, I oversee all of our animated production. You make all, you oversee all the animated TV shows here. Yeah. That's a lot. Sure. There's a room at the end of the hall, the writer's room, that has a big board of all the shows, uh, grouped by producer, and you have like, how many shows? Oh, shit. I should have looked that up. Yeah. Well, that is a wall that includes everything that's sort of um, in development. So if it's being negotiated, that'll be on the wall. 40 projects, maybe? Sure. Wow. When you started doing this, how many projects did you supervise? When I started at Adult Swim? Yeah. I started here as a line producer on one show. And what show was that? Stroker and Hoop. It was and one was season. That? I arrived in December of 2004. And you were the line producer for Stroker and Hoop. Mm-hmm. And then, um, and that show, once that was canceled, I was sort of handed both... Um, a new show to line produce and some of our stop motion shows to oversee as the production executive. So what, is, what does line producer mean? A uh, line producer is um, sort of the producer on the budget side. So set the budget and manage all that. Manage all the money that gets spent on the cartoon. Yeah, so line is each line item in the budget. So Stroker and Hoop went away and then you were assigned new shows. Yeah. What so shows were they? I had a show um called The Crooked Sip, which I think we made three episodes of that and then it turned into our show Freak Nick the Musical, which was an hour long special mm-hmm. starring T Pain as the ghost of Freak Nick. 
Um, and party ghost. Yeah. Um, and, uh, yeah. And so as I was line producing those shows, I started overseeing a bunch of our stop motion shows and then some of the 2d shows. And then at some point I just started, um, overseeing all of them. And I was still actually overseeing live action and animation, but, um, because there were so fewer shows back then, you could so do both. So few shows. Yeah. I mean, when I started, I think we had four shows what or were five. were the shows? Do you remember? Yeah. There was um, Stroker and Who. Yeah. Um, Space Ghost had ended. Aqua Teen was in production. Sea Lab was in production. Venture Brothers. Robot Chicken. And then I think, I don't know if the Squids pilot had already aired mm. or if everyone was just still working on the first season and um, perfect hair. So when I started, it was really, I mean, there was not a lot of shows. Why did they hire you? Uh, I um, wanted to be hired and sort of forced it. Walk Uh, us through your amazing journey from um, to adult swim. My professional journey. Yeah. Um, Okay. I graduated from the University of Wisconsin with a degree in humanist geography and environmental studies and moved to San Francisco, which at the time was like a really cheap and exciting place to live. And, um, and I fell into a job at a stop motion studio. I was interviewed and I was trying to be very sweet and, um, easygoing, which is not really my nature. And so, uh, you forced yourself by being (laughs) sweet. Well, no, I, they were not interested in the sweets. So I had this, I interviewed with everybody and I was very nice to people. I don't know why this many people interviewed me for a PA job, but it worked out for me, I guess. But, um, yeah, so... Can we say the name of the company? Yeah, it was um, Danger Productions. And oh. this woman, Rose Degnan, hired me. And um, I don't know where she is now, but she was kind of this legendary person who'd been at, who'd been on Star Wars, you know? Like, I came into this world. It was a stop-motion studio, and it was around the same era of, like, Skellington, which had done Nightmare Before christmas and james and the giant peach so it was like a lot of those artists and animators and um and so yeah in my initial interview i was um really sweet and quiet and um i was told that they wanted someone more assertive on the phones and so i insisted on a second interview and then I was like, oh, sorry, I'm from New Jersey and I don't want to be so abrasive and everyone's so nice here. And uh, <laughs> so you apologize for being nice. <laughs> yeah. I was like, I'm not really that nice. Like I can be super assertive. And um, and so I think you actually do want me to answer your phones and make your coffee. So I sort of fell in love with stop motion and the whole process. And then that show, ABC, uh, the show was on ABC and it was bought by Disney and then we were promptly canceled. So like I learned very early five months into a job that like, this isn't, you know, this isn't like a permanent scenario. This is a dangerous um, line of business. Yeah. Because it could, the 
Just Floor like could drop out from under you at any minute. At any minute. So it's a really good lesson to learn very early in a career. So then I was freelancing in San Francisco. I would do kind of anything anyone asked. So like, they're like, do you want to not get paid and go into the 100 degree desert and um, assist on this live action movie? And I was like, yeah, sounds great. So it was really fun and exciting. And I worked at, you know, briefly on this IMAX film. And um, then at this video game company where it was like me and nine dudes and I was beta testing a game called bad mojo where I just moved a cockroach around an environment for a long time. I think that was a CD ROM game. Oh, yeah. Those are always fun. <laughs> um, yeah. And then, um, and then Will Vinton studios hired the people from Danger Productions to make this Christmas special in the Bay Area. And so they called me up and I ended up um, coordinating that show. And then um, the producer from Will Vinton Studios, I guess, thought I was all right and um, hired me on a show called The PJs. So I moved up to Portland and I was there for two seasons. And at the time, that was like the biggest stop motion show i mean it was like a lot of simpsons writers and so you know from where we were in the simpsons you can just like blow something up and it's not that big a deal it's a team in korea you know it's like you're drawing the same amount anyway i guess but like to to build like a huge set and then destroy it is just a little more painful in stop motion and especially 20 years ago <laughs> Right. On film. On film. Um, but yeah, so I'm on the PJs and that was great. And um, <clears throat> it was a cool time to be there, you know, like late 90s Portland. And, you know, that was like, I think the first like big time for stop motion because like Deathmatch was happening in New York then. And so just that there were like three stop motion shows was a big deal. And a friend of mine from San Francisco was now in New York on a show called Little Bill and he called and was asking how to do more than how to produce more than one show at a time. And I was like, well, I can sort of tell you or I can come out and really tell you. And then I ended up leaving Portland for New York to work on Little Bill for a couple of years. And then so I um, went to L.A. and was freelancing there. And then that's where I met Keith. Um, when he was visiting Space Ghost when it was in Santa Monica briefly. And I was like, hey, just won an Emmy for Little Bill back in New York, you know, thinking that that would be somehow professionally attractive and yeah. not knowing it's really not. And then, um, yeah, I'm at MTV. Oh, yeah, doing this, doing that. And then finally, uh, I got a call that they were looking for, they were interviewing for line producers for Stroker and Hoop. So I came down and interviewed, thought Atlanta was a nightmare. I came down in like July or August. Right. It was so freaking hot. Yeah, everything's wet. Ugh, it was disgusting. And I'll take it. Yeah, I was like, ugh. And then, yeah. And then a while later, I was offered the job. So. And you had to decide, do I leave New York, the glamorous uh, center of the universe, or do I you know, go down to uh, 
Turnip Town. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, I mean, I thought I would be here for two years and then moved here, bought a house, got married, had a kid. When you first moved from New York to Atlanta, what did you think about Atlanta? Um, I mean, I sort of liked how shitty Atlanta was. I liked that it wasn't crowded. There was only like one of everything. You know, there was like a Vietnamese place or like a Mexican place. Did you feel like you were missing out being in Atlanta that you had sort of retracted from the entertainment world? No. Well, I always like being on the uh, fringes of the entertainment world. Like I was happy that I, I don't, I was happy that I found animation in San Francisco, which really isn't an animation town. And then was able to live in Portland and do this, you know? So coming to Atlanta and being in this biz <laughs> was, uh, felt really normal for me. Cause I like Ellie's not really my thing, but um, what but, don't you like about LA? Uh, it's um, it's just like a hard place to grow old with any dignity. <laughs> <laughs> Tell that to Hugh Hefner. <laughs> I just yeah, I think LA's priorities are a little off. Yeah, but um, but yeah. But Atlanta so, was. Had but, to have felt a little bit off the grid. Atlanta was totally off the grid, which I really liked. I mean, I and I liked the stuff that we were making here at Adult Swim. You know, like I think, you know, we wouldn't. Have, I wouldn't have ended if you told me at any time before I moved to Atlanta that I was moving to Atlanta. I would have. Uh, I mean, I just like that never was on the radar. I didn't even know this was a place. Um, which is shitty to say, but. Um, had you been here before? No. Wow. <laughs> I had not been, I, I had like actively tried to not be here before. Like I remember being on a road trip and going to Athens and then we were going to New Orleans next and we were like, oh, do we want to stop in, in Atlanta? Yeah. And we were like, no, There's nothing why? To do. Yeah. Why would we stop there? Um, so we took like 285. We didn't even go through the city. So that's the road that you take to avoid Atlanta. Yeah. So we avoided Atlanta. Actively avoided it. Yeah. I was like, yeah, I totally want to go to Athens. I have zero interest in Atlanta and let's get out of Georgia and get to New Orleans. But I actually really like Atlanta. I think it's, you know, it's so many more things than anyone thinks it is. Do you remember when you first came to William Street? Yeah. Um, And I liked it. It was a dump and like... Lazo and Keith shared an office and, um, you know, people were like smoking inside (laughs) with their cigarettes out the window. And so then you get hooked up with robot chicken, presumably. So then, yeah, eventually robot chicken does your first big show that you worked on here. Um, yeah. So that's like the mid aughts sort of, Mm -hmm. um, you know, absurdist heyday where we had like Xavier. Yeah. And perfect hair and delocated. And did you work on all those shows? The Tim and Eric stuff. Um, or did you stop? Did you start turning more towards animation? No, I was, I was, um, 
doing both live action and animation for a while. So like, um, so Delocated and early Neon Joe, I handled those. I handed, handled Eric Andre and Beckles first thing and, um, and the greatest event specials and tell me some of your more sort of fun experiences or some of the shows that you've enjoyed making more than others. I love all my babies. Yeah. Do you feel like they're your babies? Um, and they don't go that it's, that that's your fault. <laughs> uh, no. <laughs> <laughs> but if I, they do go, then I've that's never, also your fault. I've never, uh, no. How many Emmys do you have? I mean, five. You have five Emmys. Is that dumb? No, it's cool. You know, Little Bill was the only one that I got where I was like day-to-day coordinating producer mm-hmm. on that show. You know, the rest have all been on the network side, which does not mean that I'm not day-to-day thinking about these shows. But having been on the production side and having been on the network side, like, I don't... I mean, I do... Um, I'm not saying they're not deserved. I'm just saying it feels different. What uh, what Emmys do you have? What are they for? Um, Little Bill. Little Bill, Rick and Morty, and three for Robot Chicken. Wow. It was a big deal here uh, when the first Emmys started coming through, wasn't it? It was. Um, I happened to not be there for it. I was in my hometown. Um, and wasn't at the ceremony. So I got a text saying that, you know, you want an Emmy. (laughs) And then, uh, my father drove my sister and I to the neighborhood local watering hole in Maplewood, New Jersey. (laughs) Wow! And so, yeah, my sister and I drank at St. James gate to celebrate, to celebrate the Emmy win, which is like, could not i mean it could be slightly further from hollywood like it could be in the fucking middle of missouri but like yeah but like it was so not you know it was like such an amazing sort of towny feel for this very big glamorous did you show people the text no well no i mean my sister had a big mouth and was telling everybody and so i got to toast toast with my townies does anything change? Not one thing changes. And it's funny because when I did win um, the Little Bill Emmy, I remember being told by someone who had worked on Pee Playhouse, he was like, that is not going to do anything for you. He's like, maybe you'll get a return phone call, but you might not. Like, Emmys are cool to have, but they are definitely not getting you anywhere in your career. And I could not agree more. Wow. (laughs) (laughs) I don't know if that's great or depressing. But suddenly more shows start coming through here. Well, I no, I think that shows came through here on the strength of the existing shows. You know, it's like if we are a network that will run Aqua Teen and take it really seriously, you know, like promote it and have people watch it and make a feature, then... What do you mean take it seriously? You know, like this is like this is our iconic show. Like this is... I mean, it's a freaking great show and it's really funny. NBC has friends. CBS has... <laughs> Uh, I don't know. What 60, minutes. 60 Minutes. 60 Minutes. And, uh, and Dulcim has Aqua Teen Hunger Force. Yeah. 
Yeah. Billboards. Yeah. I mean, I don't think that, you know, you, I don't think you get the Rick and Morty's without the Aqua Teens. You know, I don't, I don't. Um, Those bricks were the foundation yeah. that you needed to open the door for the other things. Yeah. And sadly, you don't, you know, you don't get the Aqua Teens and you don't get the real special weirdness without licensing Family Guy from Fox and running that every night, you know? Like, it is this weird way that things feed off each other. Because Family Guy brought in the ad dollars that could fund the experiments. Yeah. And then the experiments were so interesting um, that they also lured in sort of the best talent, you know? Eric Andre has said that like space ghosts kind of informed his show, you know? Yeah. Like, and I'm sure, um, like I want to say Stesson, you know, Danny Stesson's favorite shows were like Xavier and off the air. And I know, um, John Krasinski is a big fan of Assy McGee, you know? Really? Yeah. Wow. I, did I never tell you that? No. Uh-uh. That's so cool. <laughs> <laughs> I'll have to bore him at a party sometime. Yeah. He should do a live action version of that. Wow. He totally should. Um, but, you know, so I feel like we have to make the weird stuff to make, um, to get to work with the people who are going to make the big stuff. The weird stuff brings in the bigger stuff. If it, if it also started as this like outsider art thing, right? Where, um, where, everything is here because we love it and it really wouldn't make sense anywhere else. Um, Rick and Morty kind of, you know, while I'm sure every single outlet would love to have it, the truth is that it's a really hard show to make. And in that sense, it maybe wouldn't fit (laughs) anywhere else. You know, like I think it's the fact that, we do support the creators and it is so creator driven that we don't actually hold anyone to a schedule. Um, and we don't have seasons, you know, I mean, we still need to deliver shows obviously, but like, I don't know. I don't know if I'm another network, am I going to take on a show that I get sort of when I get it? Maybe not. When did you notice that that show was bigger than all the other shows? Probably after season two, I think. After season two? I mean, it's hard because, you know, like, obviously, we're sort of in tune with, like, animation people and comedy people, and they found it early. But it was, I don't know if it was after the first or second season that I would have random adults, you know, very, like, straight-laced adults saying that they watched it, which they'd never... You know, people that I never would have heard from saying like, oh, my God, Rick and Morty. They would never have been like, oh, my God, awesome show or Xavier. Why do you think Rick and Morty's so popular? It's funny. It's funny, right? <laughs> How do you know when something's funny? You laugh. You laugh. Yeah. Right? Yeah. People overanalyze that. <laughs> they, they trying to reason their way into thinking something's popular. Yeah. If you laugh uh, at it, it's funny. Yeah. Um, 
I know. I feel like actual just like funny is coming back. Funny is back? Yeah. I feel like for a while, you know, the comedies were not comedies that you're supposed to laugh at. Right. Like in, in environmental, like experiential comedies, like the fact that this even exists should be funny enough. Right. There were just these comedies that just weren't meant to be laughed at. What's funny now, do you think? Rick and Morty. I just watched Fleabag season two. Yeah. Fleabag. Fleabag uh-huh. is so fucking good. Really? Yeah. The first season was great. Second season was um, like really the best thing I've seen in forever. I mean, forever. You know, that's like a show that you're like laugh crying. What are, can you think of anything that you fucked up while you're here? Like any dumb things that you did or got, got in trouble? <laughs> um, I once overpaid a creator. Had to ask for that back. By hundreds, thousands? Like a few thousand. A few thousand dollars. And you had to, <laughs> did you have to call them and ask them? <laughs> yeah. Can you tell us which creator it was? Um, it was a long time ago. I don't even know if he would remember. But it was um, Dino Stamatopoulos. Did you get it back? I think so. Or it just, we applied it to the next payment oh, or something. <laughs> um, but when else did I fuck up? I'm sure I fucked up. I had to kind of stop um, having drinks at like our upfront events. Yeah. Because then I would talk a lot. <laughs> And whoever that whoever was near me would yeah. hear it. No matter who it was. <laughs> <laughs> um, Shoot your mouth off about some private concern. Yeah. Oops. That probably happens a lot at upfronts, right? I mean, probably the worst was when I left my phone in Norman Reedus's SUV at Comic Con and had to, and like had no phone and was at a party for a dumb show on another network. <laughs> and then just went up and and didn't want to be there and then had to knock on every SUV door on the street to see if I had been in their car. <laughs> I was like, was I just in your car? Was, was I just I in, in your car? car? Yeah. Oh, that was actually post Wareheim booze cruise and then the Eric Andre, Derek Beckles live show. And then I went with Norman to a party which I never should have done. I had one person call me up telling me a story that their friend put their child in front of the TV on Cartoon Network and they came out of the shower and saw that it was like some Dr. Seuss prostitution (laughs) show. And I was like, oh... Uh, you know robot chicken yeah (laughs) and then they said you know this shouldn't be on when children are awake and i'm gonna call newt gingrich and they were very upset about it i said it sounds like it's bad parenting more than a legislative issue and um that was uh (laughs) wow yeah the parent was very upset you they were mad at Adult Swim, and she wanted me to know that there was going to be a phone call made to Newt Gingrich. Oh. Well, she shouldn't be showering. That's what I said. Yeah. How about you don't park your child in front of the television? Oh. Um, and 
also, you know, Newt Gingrich was busy <laughs> cheating on his wife who had cancer, I think at the time. So he wasn't going to care about robot chicken. Yeah. I'd love to have heard that phone call. <laughs> Hello. <laughs> this is Newt. Um, but yeah, so parents in my kids, uh, world now they sort of, they know that it's just a comedy thing. And I think they've heard of Rick and Morty and some of them watch family guy. Yeah. Rick and Morty has, uh, maybe legitimized adult swim from sounding less like a porn channel. I mean, I definitely, uh, have had to tell people that it's not. <laughs> and um cuz it comes on late at night. <laughs> <laughs> well, and it's funny because the whole idea of adult swim is really actually pretty culturally specific to the US. Like I was in Seoul telling a group of people about adult swim and I had to explain to them that in community pools the children are told to get out of the pool <laughs> so that the adults can swim laps with no lifeguard. And that's where this came from. And I, it was just um, a lot of blank stares. Like, why? Why would you kick kids out of a yeah, community well, they, pool? They block your swimming lanes. Well, and I think it's really to give the lifeguards a break. Yeah. They can go uh, <laughs> smoke weed in the car before they come back. <laughs> and go make out. Yeah. Um, yeah, so I mean adult swim as a as a concept. I don't know. I mean, I guess I'll ask when I'm in Annecy next week if they tell the children that they need to get out of the pool in their swimming communities. Yeah, ask everyone you see that at Annecy. <laughs> I'm gonna I'll take you to the doctor. Yeah. <laughs> I haven't gotten to that phrase in Duolingo yet, but I have Google Translate and I'll do it. Your husband is Dave Hughes. He's been on this podcast, esteemed editor. What's it like working at this place with your husband? Well, we make a point of not actually working on the same things, which makes it a lot better. Have you actively chosen to not work on each other's projects? Yeah. I mean, there was one, uh, there were a couple times many years ago, like I think he um, edited the uh, commentary for a moral oral DVD. And I was like bringing him the audio and we were both like, ugh, sucks. <laughs> um, Do it on the couch at home. <laughs> just like, I mean, we don't even barely talk about work at home. Um, so yeah, like our experience of working together is really food related. What do you mean? Like we check in for what we're going to have for lunch. And if one of us is going to bring the other one, the thing that we're getting, if one of us is out and then at the end of the day, what we're having for dinner. What about the brand? What about adult swim proper? What does the future hold Ollie? Uh, uh, it's a pretty strong brand. You know, I feel like adult swim is used like as an adjective, which is sort of what every brand wants, right? Like, you know, I think what, people have this idea of what an adult swim show is. And yeah. that idea. What are idea, the words they use to describe it? Uh, like the ones that I read from the research reports? Yeah. I mean, you know, first one's like edgy. 
<laughs> you know, it's really edgy. You're leaving tomorrow uh-huh. for Annecy. Yeah. And what is Annecy? Uh, there's a big um, animation festival and conference. And as a producer for Adult Swim, walk us through what do you have to do? Meet You're going to get on the plane. I'm going to get on the plane. Will you talk to your next door neighbor? You probably will. You're a next door neighbor. No. To, no? <laughs> no. Headphones the whole time. Not even plugged in. Like dangling. I don't like earbuds. I like the. Yeah. I don't like wireless. You just put them in there to chase people away. Oh, yeah. I mean, it, like the <laughs> the cord just dangles because it's not connected. They but see uh, that. <laughs> I don't want to talk. Um, unless I need their magazine to get the crossword puzzle. Right. Ollie Green. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you. Thank you. Music from this episode is a song called Burn Bridges by Dom off of his album Sun Bronze Greek Gods. Be sure to visit adultsum.com slash podcast for links to the shows Ollie was just talking about. And as always, we'd love to hear from you, Podcast at gmail.com. Send us your requests, comments, criticisms, nudes, don't send nudes. Thanks for listening. To trust you.